Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Lorraine Ash, and our topic is Grieving the Stillborn Child. Lorraine Ash's only child, Victoria Helen, was stillborn. Though Lorraine had gone to the hospital expecting to deliver her daughter, she wound up fighting for her own life against the symptom, less, the symptomless group B strep infection that claimed Victoria. A veteran journalist, Lorraine began her healing odyssey by writing, The book that resulted, Life Touches Life, A Mother's Story of Stillbirth and Healing, reflects her new beliefs about God, nature, and the human condition. Life Touches Life has also become a catalyst for positive social change and an instrument of solace for stillbirth parents around the world. Welcome to the show, Lorraine. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to have you on, Lorraine. We're excited about it. Well, could you talk a little bit about um, Victoria Helen? Is that correct? Oh, yes. I I would love to. on June 1st, 1999, which I really expected to be the, the best day of my life, um, I went uh, to my doctor expecting to deliver her. And uh, it's a story, my story is the same as so many stillbirth parents around the country. And there are a lot of us, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I, we were reading, what, 71? 71 a day in the, in the United States. That's right. That's amazing. Okay. 26,000 a year in the United States. Wow. Four million a year around the world. Wow. And the pregnancy was fine. Uh, I was in week 42, and um, I went in to be induced, and the doctor went to find her heartbeat and couldn't find it. You actually went in to be induced at that time. That's right. Oh, my goodness. That's so you right. were right right there. Right there, beyond full term. And With your first child. My first child. And she was conceived when I was 39 on the first try. Wow. And so we had this idea that she was fated to arrive, you know. Yeah, and your husband there, Bill, was your husband? That's right. That's he's right. a jazz he's trumpeter, I notice. That's right. That's yeah. right. So Bill was all jazzed up and ready to go. and. That's right. And you had all your had little suitcase. And... With her baby clothes, right, ready. That's right. We packed That's... the bag, the overnight bag, and we wow. had taken the Lamaze lessons, and we were so excited. Mm-hmm. But in the doctor's office, he, he couldn't find the heartbeat. And he said, well, let's not get, you know, crazy about it. It's, I don't like this, but go across the street, and we have bigger, better ultrasounds and monitors there. So I, we went across the street almost in complete silence. Like we, could, we just were shocked, you know. And uh, we... Uh, there were just the two of you? Just the two of us. Mm-hmm. That's right. And we checked into maternity, and this. Uh, I, I got changed and climbed into the bed, and the... The resident is, everything is in complete silence here. The resident says, I can't find the heartbeat. We have even bigger, better machines in maternal fetal medicine upstairs. We're going to take you there. So, you know, we went to the other maternal fetal medicine, the other department, and um, it was an amazing experience. It was just my husband, myself, and the nurse. And the walls were decorated with collages of all these babies who had been born oh in the goodness. hospital. And the, the nurse is checking and not saying anything, checking and not saying anything. And I said, what, what, are you, 
is she dead? Mm. And she said, I'm, I'm a, yes. Oh, my wow. goodness. Um, I'm going to give your husband some forms to fill out, and I'll be right back. Maybe the two of you want to be alone. <laughs> so she left, and my husband, you know, sort of on automatic pilot, picks up a pen. He, he starts filling this form in, and then he just drops everything, and he let out this wail. I had never mm-hmm. heard a human being, a sound come from a human being like that. And we just, you know, held each other, and uh, uh, we used to call her our sweet lips. You know, and we, we 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 just couldn't believe it. We just couldn't believe it, and it was a mystery as to what happened. Well, also what you were needing to go through then. I mean, you still hadn't seen her, right? That's right. Still hadn't still hadn't seen her, and I had to um, deliver uh, her, and uh, it was induction was not working at that point. The tocin was not kicking in. It turned out, in retrospect, we knew that the uterus had been so hot and infected it couldn't work. Oh. Uh, so at 1 o'clock the next morning, um, I had a C-section. And oh. I came out of the C-section with 104 fever. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely delirious, practically. Um, and my husband went in to hold Victoria. He wanted to hold her while she was still warm. Uh-huh. So beautiful. I don't blame him. And um, I, couldn't quite, I couldn't quite do that, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I was... So oh, at 104 fever, you were totally out of it. My husband just had a staph infection from, from the hospital, and you are out of it. That's right. Totally. So Fifteen days, touch and go in the hospital. They, the doctor finally isolated, was able to isolate where the infection was and, and eradicate it. Oh, your husband must have been absolutely panicky that it was right. going to lose you, too. Right. That's yeah. Right. And I was panicky to lose him. He was with me in the hospital for... Days on end, and he finally, I mean, he had growing a beard <laughs> for a while there, and he wanted to go home and take a shower. Mm-hmm. And he was gone about um, an hour, and I was like, where is he? Where is he? I'm calling the neighbors. Is he okay? It's, and that's also a, a part of the, the psychological aspect of stillbirth. You realize how fragile life is. Right. Yeah. And but you know what I'm thinking also is it's a normal part of grief that everybody goes through, mm-hmm. worrying about your other loved ones. That's Feeling right. like people could die because that's been your experience. Someone close to you has died, your daughter. That's right. So you would probably feeling like this was really weird or maybe even the staff were, and it really wasn't from, a, you know, looking at the grief. It's a pretty normal part of the process. Well, how did they deal with you? Well, it, you know, it was 1999, and I was kind of lucky that it was a, a hospital that had um, some kind of provision for this. They have nurses who have had bereavement training. Now, they're oh, not great. dedicated to... Um, what, what hospital is this? We'll give uh, a little talk. Hackensack University Medical Center great. in Hackensack, New Jersey. And we had a, a couple of staffers who were, who were just with us the whole way. You know, oh, how wonderful. Give us books and said, you know what, uh, we can encourage you to hold the baby. Uh, you're going to have to make some decisions about cremation and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and they gently nudged us through the process. Um, they also took Bill aside and they, they spoke to him. But uh, it was very good, and they, they took pictures. They took pictures oh, of good. Victoria when she was uh, dressed up in her. Ah. Yeah, it was really a wonderful Well, picture. if you'd like to send us one of those, we'll put, certainly put it on the net. Oh, absolutely. And In fact, it's, there is a picture of the three of us in Life Touches Life, and I love it. It's the only ten minutes the three of us had together. Wow. Um, and so that's a really big moment for um, for stillbirth parents, and it's great when the hospital 
you know, make sure that you have the option to do it. It's not I was going to say, and sometimes you're not in a place psychologically, emotionally, or physically where you can make those decisions because you're just trying to survive what just happened, and for them to come in and, and have that set up is really important, I think. Exactly. Absolutely. What about, uh, Lorraine, and do send us that picture. We'd love to put it on the on the uh, okay. blog. Um, I wanted to ask you, for those folks out there who are hearing your story now and hearing how supportive the staff was and didn't have that experience, and you must have run into them or have interviewed them, what, what's your thought for them? Well, I let them know, I mean, and that this, this focus can still be spiritual. Mm-hmm. I mean, my focus is spiritual, and Life Touches Life is about evolving into a, a new kind of spirituality for me. In your heart, in your soul, you love that baby, and that baby loves you, and you still do. And you could still go to that place, and that's really the place where we're all trying to get to in life. And whether you held the baby or you didn't hold the baby, you still have that, and you cannot lose it. And how would you suggest they access that if they didn't hold the baby? Do you have any any rituals or any thoughts about how people can do that? Really visualizing in in detail what it what it could have been like if you did it, mm-hmm. and also to visualize the two of you in a heavenly spot, you know, mm-hmm. in in another dimension where you both still live together. Mm-hmm. And and I was going to add, you know, Lorraine, you and Victoria Helen had. A relationship, and you bonded because you knew her to a certain extent for nine months. That's right. You were bonded with her. That's right. So it wasn't the day she, you know, the day that she was born stillbirth was not the first moment that you knew she existed. Oh God, that's true. I used to talk to her all the time, mm-hmm. <laughs> take long walks, and you know, um, we were definitely bonded then. Uh, it's not like the life started then. It really did start at at conception. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was reading something um, just recently about a doctor, Diana Bianchi, at Tufts University, who's doing research. Uh, and, and it turns out, apparently, that with each pregnancy, a woman is given fully functioning white blood cells from her child, regardless of the outcome of the pregnancy, live or still. Yeah, Heidi and I were saying that you were certainly totally prepared for this baby to be born. You'd, you'd have to have pills so you wouldn't produce milk or whatever. I mean, your body's ready for a baby. Uh, yes, and, and actually, that's, that seems like a very cruel thing afterwards. I mean, the body, the, the breasts just keep doing, <laughs> doing mm-hmm. their thing, and it's just, you know, you almost feel angry at nature at that point. Like, oh, come on, don't you know what happened? Right, absolutely. But, those, but baby cells are still in you, though. And then they and they never really leave. Right. Well, what about your husband? Um, do you see and any other people that you've talked to? Do you see them grieving differently, male and female? Um, Heidi and I were talking about the fact that you do have that connection. This baby's actually growing within you, even though your husband can connect with it. Are there differences? Absolutely. Um, and I was talking to Bill about this just the other day, and he said. You know, it's not that I don't love her, and it's not that I don't feel close to her, but, you know, you had a different, a different kind of bond. I mean, you were one body. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I can't, you know, I can't approximate what that is like. Um, you know, we've had, let me just interject here, because we've had um, people who've listened to the show and have gotten in touch with us. We've had two, uh, two kinds of experiences. We've had sometimes men who are somewhat angry at their wives, because they feel that they're spending too much time, they're grieving too long. And we've also had wives that feel like their husbands aren't grieving at us. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then we've had men who were really grieving and the wives were annoyed because they were grieving too much. Yes. 
That's absolutely true. All of I've run across all of it, um, and it's all it's all okay. I mean, if you can come to a place where you say it's such an individual thing, if you can just talk about, you know, you know what? It seems maybe that I'm not crying enough to your satisfaction, honey, but inside, this is what's going on. It's just a candle, candid, uh, simple expressions of letting your partner know what's going on inside you can go a long way. Yeah, I like the fact that your husband spoke to you about it. I oh, yeah. Well, in the beginning, see, he had a typical um, reaction for a man, and that was, I need to take care of her. Mm-hmm. And so he thought he, he could suspend his grieving until he made sure I was okay, because he was so worried about losing me, too. Right, because you were um, very sick. And so maybe a year later, Bill started grieving the way that I was grieving in the beginning. And that, that's okay. That's okay. Uh-huh. And did you ever get annoyed? I got annoyed with my husband sometimes. I bet you got annoyed with us sometimes, didn't you, Heidi? Yeah, but I've actually heard with miscarriages and stillbirth stories where men actually, they, their grief process begins later than a woman's. And I don't know if it's because of the, the fact that the woman did carry the baby, so she feels the loss immediately. I really do think it is that he's trying to care for her, mm-hmm. too. Right. We see, I see a lot of that um, when we go to Compassionate Friends that women, because women are more allowed to cry in society or sitting there crying and their poor husbands are sitting next to them, these, particularly some young couples with their arm around them, you know, looking like, what can I do for her? How can I take care of her? Where's my happy person, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know when I had my two miscarriages, and they were both in my first trimester, but I grieved not only loss of the pregnancy, but I grieved the loss of my future with this baby. Yeah. Because as soon as you find out you're pregnant, you you know you start figuring out when they're going to be born, what the names are going to be, what they're going to look like. I mean, you have all these. You start planning your future. That's right. With your baby. That's right. You're losing an identity Mm -hmm. as a parent. And we were also talking with Irv Leon on one of the shows. Um, I was just trying to leaf through it and try to find it during break. But um, he did something uh, on this, this same area, and he said that these ultrasounds are making a big difference because people actually see a picture of their baby. That's right. So they, they're very connected. That's right. That's right. And do you think that might even make males more connected because they actually see the baby? And they know yes. if it's a boy or a girl. Or Did you know? Yes. Yes, we knew a girl. I think that's definitely true. You know, come back from an ultrasound, you're all excited, and you're talking about them. Oh, yeah, she looks like me. <laughs> that sort of thing. Uh-huh. And how about your family? How did they deal with it? Do you have siblings? I have one sibling, um, and my sibling had experienced a stillbirth. So my my sibling um, understood that, you know, to uh, to a certain extent. And my parents um, were, were quite good, too. My father, um, I remember him sitting on the hospital bed, and, uh, he, you know, he is, he is Catholic. He and my mother are Catholic, and he said, uh, I keep thinking about the story of Lazarus, but why can't she come back? Why mm-hmm. can't she come back? Uh, you know, wow. Just... Uh, well, there's so many unanswerable questions that come up. Well, I was going to ask you, your sibling also had a stillbirth. That's very unusual for two siblings to have stillbirths, isn't it? Um, I guess they, they were for different reasons, weren't they? Uh, yes. My, my sister-in-law, um, actually, I'm not even sure there. Oh, it was your sister-in-law. Okay. Right, right. Now, what about with you? I know you ended up getting very sick and having 104. What? Why did the baby die? Did they understand how she became ill or um there are um is group b strep to my understanding that naturally um exists 
in the um, vagina of a um, quarter of the women in the United States, and you can live your whole life with it and not have a problem. Mm-hmm. But during times of childbirth, uh, it can be a problem, mm-hmm. and uh, it can um, leak, so to speak, into the uterus, and this is a soundless, symptomless thing. Mm-hmm. Now, they do do culture tests to try to detect this, and uh, that's part of the protocol from um, uh, the medicine, for the medical community. And, in fact, I got that test at week 37 and passed it. It mm-hmm. was negative. Well, Lorraine, uh, I want to tell our audience that they can see your book, Life Touches Life, A Mother's Story of Stillbirth and Healing. It's on our blog, thegriefblog.com, and you can order it off that site, and we hope you will get it. It's a wonderful book, and uh, I think that um, it will be a great addition. Um, I wanted to say that we'd already, we've got a couple of callers, Mary and Rosie, and if they'll just hold on for a minute, we'll get to them. And Heidi, we already had an email um, responding to the show, Lorraine's show on our blog. Do you want to kind of tell our audience about that? Um, sure. The, the uh, email on the blog is from John McDonald, and apparently he had a daughter also that died from the same thing, oh. and her name was Hannah Noel, and he has gone on to start a nonprofit dedicated to awareness and prevention of GBS, and uh, he would like to eventually collaborate with you, Lorraine. So, oh, great. Well, you can go on the blog and look at that, and if he would like to email to the blog his information about what he's doing, we'd love to put it up. And for any of you who have uh, things going on that you'd like to have us put up on the blog, please send them to thegriefblog.com. Well, let's take our first call. Mary, hi. This is Mary Michael Lorraine. Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Welcome to the show, Mary. Did Thank you have a you. question or comment? I am just calling to say how very proud I am of Lorraine's work, uh, especially the book Life Touches Life. It just puts into words everything I was feeling in my own loss. Mm-hmm. I remember reading the book in one sitting. Uh, wow. Lorraine, even though that loss was in 1988 and the feelings are less intense, they're still very much real, and reading this book was an important part of my continuing healing process, and I just can't say enough about how valuable the book is, and I do take it out and look at it um, and sit with it, Um, but also as a medical professional, I want to say to you um, also how important addressing the um, medical profession and how they care for their patients in those first moments and hours of learning that they've lost their child. Um, I can't say enough about how that sets a foundation. And is there anything, that, that, any yeah. advice that you have for medical professionals listening today of what they can do, what is helpful? Yeah, what would be your one piece if you had a quick one? Uh, I would say to communicate uh, what their options are in that moment of uh, hearing about the loss, uh, that they can hold the baby, uh, they can have a picture, they can have the blanket, they can have the medical tag, um, and that they need to have a dialogue with the physician uh, because we have so many questions in those moments. What happened and why? And they can do that, yeah. That's great. And I would suggest that if people out there um, who had babies and already had this happen and didn't have the community helping them, that when you're up to it, you might want to get involved in an organization helping to educate the 
the medical community. It's really important. Thank you, Mary, for calling in. It's great, and it's wonderful to know that even though it was 1988 when um, you had your stillbirth, that it's important to get, keep this information going and dialoguing and talking about it. Thanks for calling in. Circulating. Love you, Lorraine. <laughs> Love you. Okay. Thank you. Hi, we have uh, Rosie on now. Hi, Rosie. Hi, I'm Rosie Roots from Hinsdale, Illinois. I also want to express my appreciation to Lorraine for the wonderful book that has been so instrumental in helping many uh, families that have gone through the loss of a stillbirth, but not a, but not only a, a stillbirth, but the earlier losses, because I especially um, appreciate the possibility of the spiritual connection and that she talked about that helps promote healing, which can... Uh, help families even that go through earlier losses. That's great. Well, uh, have you had a loss yourself, Rosie? Uh, yes, I had two miscarriages earlier, and that, like I think many of us, prompted me to uh, coordinate our program, which started 20 years ago here at the Adventist System in Illinois. Oh, great. Well, send us your information about your association. We'd love to put it up on the blog. Oh, thank and, you. And it's helpful to know that this book is also a book that would be he- helpful and healing to people that have babies that died early on in their lives. Yes, mm-hmm. I think so. And I've had several of my family read it. As soon as it came out, I corresponded with Lorraine also to tell her, specifically a family that I recommended to it that also lost their baby from group beta strep. But the spiritual connection and what she's expressed and how she grew through this healing has been very helpful to other parents and families as well. That's great. It's so important to have hope, isn't it? Yes, it is. Certainly is. So thank you very much for doing the show and also writing the book and covering this topic. And thanks for calling in, Rosa. Thank you for calling in. Have a good day. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, Lorraine, your book has touched a lot of lives. Mm Mm-hmm. Sounds yeah, like. it's, actually, it's interesting. I, it's the book that I couldn't find, Gloria. Uh, I wrote the book I, I really couldn't find, and I was amazed that I get email from Australia, Germany, uh, England. So you're saying that you, when you went out to the bookstore to find a book for yourself about this, there was no book. Right. I wanted a full-blown narrative of, uh-huh. a, of a mom who had been through it. I wanted to know that there was somebody who went through it, and mm-hmm. they had a map, and I wanted to see their map. It might not be mine. I just wanted to know what that someone had done it, and I was amazed. I, I couldn't find it. The, the very first um, recorded grief around stillbirth is in King Tut's tomb. Ah. I thought to myself, my God, it's been going on so long. Let me try to contribute this. Let me try to put some good language on this. And I think part of, part of the reason that it doesn't get acknowledged so much is people have not seen the child and they don't connect with it as much, right? Would Absolutely. you say? Absolutely. The child was never part of the social order. So it's invisible. It's totally an invisible grief. So, so the community doesn't grieve with you because they feel like they didn't have that connection. Exactly. That's Did you, do, was there anyone in your life that gave you a condolence card or that came up and spoke to you about the fact that you would had the death of your daughter? I got a, I got a fair amount of cards, mm-hmm. um, but my relationships, you know, my inner sanctum relationships changed a lot. Some people stayed with me, but many. Didn't. I like that inner sanctum relationships. I've never heard that. That's a very interesting way to put it. But the, a lot of people couldn't couldn't. Um, I was different. I mean, when you you change, and people are find themselves dealing with a change. Yeah, and they, uh, our audience always says uh, there's kind of the there was then and now there's now. 
That's right. Of who I am. That's right. And and that's interesting because people have not noticed a difference in you, particularly some people who didn't even go to full term have changed. That's right. And, and people don't understand the change, I assume. That's right. How do you know well, more Well, I know when I, I had my miscarriages, people said to me afterwards, instead of acknowledging the loss, they said stuff like, well, at least you know you can get pregnant. Um, well, I'm sure you'll have another baby. You know, they constantly made these statements, and that actually wasn't helpful because I really just needed the loss that I just experienced acknowledged. That's right. And they weren't psychic, so they had no idea what was in my future. <laughs> but they would make these statements. So I didn't know if that had been your experience as well. Absolutely. And people told me, um, oh, you'll have another one. Mm-hmm. In fact, I did not. Right. I did not either. I actually have adopted a daughter from China. Wonderful. But um, I did not go on to have a pregnancy and, and a baby through a pregnancy. Right. Right. So one of the things I wanted to talk to Lorraine before um, we pass on is guilt. Um, when you were talking about the strip and, and how that um, you were tested for it and, and you came out negative but then you still got um, you know, the baby got the strip. What about guilt? Did you feel like you should have done more or? You know, uh, I didn't know what to think, but it seems a, to be a reflex that you say, what did I do? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, some people go to, including me, go to some wild places. One of the things that first crossed my mind, believe it or not, was that I had gone and I'd had some imported provolone cheese. <laughs> and I thought, my God, if only I hadn't eaten that cheese. Mm-hmm. It, God knows where it came from. I must have introduced something into my body that was that did this. I must have. Um, I've talked to a, a women who say I shouldn't have gone into that yoga pose, or I, I shouldn't have done. I've I got mad that morning. I had a fight with my husband, and the baby must have been so upset that that the baby died. Yeah, early on, on show, I'm, I'm on it as a guest, and we talk about that. I mean, I even thought, oh my God, it was that diet coke I drank. I had caffeine. That's right. <laughs> It, that's right. And, um, you know, I, I talk to everybody, and they all have this kind of response. I was lucky in that I remember my, my doctor uh, coming to the bedside and saying, uh, I'm going to say something to you and let it be like a mantra. This is not your fault. This uh, is not your fault. Mm, it's so, not your fault. So our folks out there, we're saying to you, if you're feeling that way, a good idea, Lorraine, right, is to say this is not your fault. That's right. I like that doctor. Yeah. Absolutely. I do, too. <clears throat> Heidi, uh, you were saying the Diet Coke thing. Uh, did you have any other kinds of things that you felt? I mean, uh, do you feel like your body has kind of betrayed you at all? Absolutely. Definitely. And I'll tell you something. That mm-hmm. I started using that, you know, to advantage. I said, you know, my body did something I certainly would not do, and I meaning my soul. And so there's a difference between the body and the soul here. Um, and they're they're not totally in tandem. My soul is with my daughter today, always will be. She's in my heart. She's in my mind. She's in my thought stream all the time. Uh, the body I did I do feel betrayed me. There's no question about it. Mm-hmm. And I hear a lot of moms saying. That. I mean, I felt the same way. I heard a lot of women saying that. And you know what I'm keep being struck by? I don't know why, Lorraine, but not only do you have the psychological scars because you've lost your daughter, but you have a physical scar. That's right. It's kind of a memory of your daughter, too, because you've got the C-section scar. That's right. I like it. That's good. That's good. You like it, so it's a kind of an attachment, a way of That's right. letting you know that she was in your life and she still is in many ways. 
And we'll always you know, be important. it's a battle scar, too. Mm-hmm. It's a sign of survival. Mm-hmm. That's inter- it, it's, I love the way you're reframing these things yeah. in such a positive way that it's rather than being a scar on your body, it's an acknowledgement of uh, Victoria Helen. That's right. Yeah. How about uh, people who were there for you? Can you talk a little bit about what they did and who they were? Oh, my goodness. Um, yes, I can. You know, my husband has been there from day one. Um, just accepting whatever I had to say, you know, whatever mood uh, I was in, um, he was very reaffirming always that, you know, he's, he's with me, he's going to stay with me, um, uh, talk to him, and that's he loves me, and he'll just, he'll just come up and just, Hug me from behind, give me a big uh, kiss or something like that. That's I mean, that was really very affirming. We've got three callers, so we're going to move right on to the, the call-ins for our last break. Uh, hi, Katie. Hi, this is Katie. I'm calling to say hi to Lorraine and to thank her for writing her wonderful book. Hello, um, Katie. Hello. And Katie. Lorraine and I have um, corresponded through email over the last couple of years. Um, my daughter, Rose, was stillborn in 2003, and um, I think I started emailing her um, about a year after that when I finally found her book, which became really my guide through the journey. So thanks so much. Oh, Katie, thank you for calling in. Thank That's you, so Katie. great. And uh, good luck to you, and I hope things are going well. Thanks for calling. Pam, do we have a Pam call in? Yes. Hi. My hi, Pam. Pam. Hi, hi, Pam. Hi, Lorraine. Pam, hi. How are you? I'm good. Um, as a, I know. I'm, where are you from, Pam? I'm uh, sorry. Where Where do you live? I live in New Jersey, but I my hospital. I'm a nurse in a hospital in New York, Rockland. Excuse me, Rockland County, New York. Um, I'm a labor and delivery nurse, and I facilitate oh many, many, many support groups for. Uh, the loss of a baby, and um, I am interested in having Lorraine. Maybe there are other facilitators out there or um, healthcare professionals listening, <clears throat> and maybe she could touch on, you know, what her experience was with support groups. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be doing this for 18 years if I didn't see the um, the beauty of, you know, the dynamics of a support group, but. Um, you know, I also know that um, some hospitals struggle with uh, attendance and, um, you know, just the... Well, uh, you must be a fantastic leader being in that mm-hmm. there that long, and how great to have uh, professional bet. people that are in there and, and ready to do it. What was your experience in, in a quick nutshell, Lorraine? For support group number one, uh, I, I felt in the very beginning like I was one in five million that this must have happened to. Just sitting down in the support group and being being surrounded by people, you look in their eyes, they look in your eyes, and you say, oh, my goodness, we're in, a, we're in our own land here. Right. And, and I'm not alone. I, I call this the difficult land of love and grief, and, and life touches life. And, and in that place, very profound connections are made, very rare beauties surface. Support groups are important. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you. We're, we're going to have to speed along. Thanks for calling in, Pam. You're thank welcome. You, Pam. We've got one last heel, um, caller, Takima. Is Takima? Takima? 
Maybe. Can you hear me? Oh, you're there? Oh, great. Can you give yeah. us a quick comment because we're going to have to go out there? Um, uh, hi, I just wanted to thank Lorraine for writing the book. I haven't read it yet, but I'm very much looking forward to it. And um, I'm following the previous caller. I actually, after my son was stillborn in 2003, I uh, founded an online support group called Mothers of Angels for women who've experienced late-term pregnancy loss and neonatal loss, and it's also been an amazing lifesaver. That's how I found out about this um, show from one of our members who recently lost her son named Becky. Oh, yes, great. Well, thank you so much for calling in and giving us that website. Mothers of Angels. Yeah, and tell them, uh, if you're in contact with them, tell them to send us their information. We'd love to put it on the blog. Okay. uh, Thank you so much for calling in. Thank you. it's time for us to close our show today, and I wondered if you had a quick thought for our audience, Lorraine. A very simple one in this high-tech age. Spend some quiet time sitting at a stream and just contemplate the rhythm of nature and how you fit into its rhythm. And as you spend more time there, you're going to find your mind reflected in the water and just let those images speak to you. It's good practice to open your mind to let your child speak to you. Uh, well, thank you so much for being on the show, Lorraine. It's really been wonderful. And uh, from our response, uh, it's a very important topic, isn't it, Heidi? Absolutely. To get this many call-ins at the very end of the show is very unusual, and I think it speaks to the fact that people need this information. This is a very important book. Absolutely. So please go to our website, thegriefblog.com, and order this book. Next week we're going to have uh, Dina Taylor on the show. Her husband, Dr. Um, Dr. James Taylor, is president of Cumberland's College. They lost their son, Young Jim, in two thousand uh, in 1991, an automobile accident. And join us to hear about how Jim and his parents and students and friends honor him. This show is archived on our blog, thegriefblog.com, as well as the Compassionate Friends website. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Uh, Lorraine, Victoria Helen is gone but not forgotten. She lives on in your memory and in all the writing that you do. Thank you so much for your work. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.